Amen, amen, amen. Good evening. Happy Wednesday to you. Midweek service here as you're opening your books to the book of Ruth. We'll be doing chapter 3 tonight. One announcement uh, for certain I want to highlight here is VBS um, serving opportunities and uh, you're looking to serve the Lord in that capacity that way and uh, have fun with the kids for sure. And donations are certainly needed in some of the basic items and and again, there's a flyer out there to be able to look at it and see and donations for the barbecue and pastas. You like your favorite pasta for macaroni salads, fruit, that kind of thing. See Steve and Julie there. Uh, the topic is God's Living Water, uh, July 21st, 22nd. It's a Friday, Saturday, 9 to 1 uh, each day. And uh, just going to be a, just volunteers. Invite, invite your you know friends and neighbors who may not go to church. This is an outreach. Uh, you have been listening to radio station. You have heard a voice that's uh, familiar to you and uh, <coughs> advertising for that. So uh, we look for that. Also, we're um, doing a projects for outdoor projects. And we're moving into the next phase, which is the in front of the building, the main entrance, so the new walkways, uh, the grading of the, of the, of the property, um, downspouts being you know, put underground, so the water is you know, taking care of all these kinds of things for the summer. That project is actually going to start uh, tomorrow morning. So for those who are part of the Father's Builders and uh, want to be part of that, um, make sure we'll be sending messages out to you so you know, uh, especially this coming uh, well, there's opportunities for tomorrow and next day, and especially Saturday, to help uh, uh, just little things here and there, just grading and maybe moving stuff around. But anyway, lots of projects. Don't be afraid. Just bring clothes to get dirty. Uh, that's the main thing. Like you're going to get dirty. And uh, pray for no rain. So uh, it helped us all that prayer to keep the rain back from the other phase that we did with taking down the, the shed, the garage, and pulling out tree stumps. God literally held back the rain. So uh, we need that prayer. If you cannot do anything else, the most important pray, no rain, holding back for the project to be completely done on Thursday, Friday, Saturday out front here. Um, so Sunday, when you come, <laughs> it's not a dirty mess too much. You're actually nice pavers that you're going to be walking on. So that's the vision. That's the hope. That's the promise. So uh, talking about in hope and faith, that's what we're taking here <laughs> the next three days of this project. So uh, great title for even for Ruth chapter 3 tonight. Let us pray and we'll get right into the word. Again, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to gather here in person and to those online, to be able to be those to hear in the future here of the teachings. Lord, may you speak to our hearts through this hope and this faith, this love that is displayed um, through the life of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. Lord, you just open up your word to us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Ruth chapter 3. In hope and faith. Have you noticed so far, if you've been with us in chapters 1 and 2, especially last week, have you noticed so far... Ever since Boaz came into Ruth's life, Naomi has been a different person. God used Ruth to turn Naomi's bitterness 
into gratitude. Her unbelief into faith. And her despair into hope. Understand, one person, you, who trusts in the Lord and obey his will, can change a situation from defeat to victory. A person who trusts the Lord and obeys his will can certainly change a situation in their life. It can take someone who's completely defeated and bring victory into their life, and a one's life can radically change, and so can a family. And we see this here in this little tiny family of Naomi and Ruth. Ruth's faith's Faith in God's word led her to the field of Boaz, we saw last week. She says, I know I have to go work. I know I need to provide for the family and help Naomi out here. I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm going to go out, and I have got to go do the hard work. I've got to go glean from the fields because we need to eat. And because she took that step, I'm going to go and find favor, and I know this is going to work out. And sure enough, God led her to the field of Boaz. And because of the connection that Boaz had with her, because of the good reputation of Ruth, the good reputation and the knowledge of who Naomi was, a relative, and all these other factors, that love, that, that love for Naomi and Ruth compelled him to pour out his grace upon Ruth there in those fields and make sure she was taken care of and protected and provided for for her and Naomi to meet every of her need at that point in time. And that's what grace was all about last week. The grace is a love that pays the price to help the undeserving one. Because in, in, in people's perspective, she's a foreigner. She's not an Israelite. She's attached to Naomi, yes, but she has nothing. She is just a, a woman by herself. Now she's a widow. And in that culture, everything could have gone against her. But by God's grace, everything was for her. And that's what we must understand when God's grace is for us as a believer. Regardless of the situations and how you're feeling at the time, God's grace is for us. And he's going to turn the situation around into victory in some form or fashion that he gets all the glory and honor and praise and deepens your faith and that hope and faith that you so need in our life to live our life. Ruth's experience of grace gave her new hope. A deepened faith as she anticipated what her kingsman redeemer would do. We see it in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Played out here in the fact that now abide in faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Those three elements are still in our lives today. They still abide with us as we abide in Jesus Christ and trust in him. We can have that assurance that we're abiding in him, that abiding in faith, the hope and the love that we need. And the greatest of these is his love, the, un the un unconditional love. Keep in mind that the book of Ruth is much more than a record of someone who has lost her husband and or they lost her husband two widows who were traveling and don't know what to do next it's not about that it's not even about a marriage between a foreigner and an israelite and how god's grace and all that it's really not about that at all 
It's that picture of Christ's relationship to those who trust Christ and belong to him. That is what the message is all about. And we will see here in chapter 3 tonight, we will see the steps God's people must take if they want to enter into a deeper relationship with the Lord, you must take and have that hope and that faith in taking those steps in going toward Him, pursuing Him, abiding in Him. And we must want Him alone. We must desire for Jesus in our life. For when we have Him, we also have all that He owns, all that He has promises for us that we see in the Scripture. It's not the gifts that we should be seeking. What can we get out of God? Okay, I'll have a sort of relationship with God if I can get this and I can get this and be healthy and wealthy and wise. No, no, that is not the scripture. We pursue him because we want the giver, not the gifts. We desire the giver. Notice here in Ruth chapter 3 verse 1. The first part of two here says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? Oh, that motherly instinct. I want security for you. I know the best way for security for you, daughter, is one way. And that was way is what? That it may be well with you, that it's going to be a good life for you. Now, Boaz... That's the question I'm asking you, my daughter. I, I, shall I not seek? Should I do whatever I can as a mother to get security for you as my daughter to make sure you're secure because I am older and you're younger and you need to be married and you have to have kids? How, what better than the question she's asking here? This is why I'm really talking about this, Ruth. I'm not bringing this up because I'm a mother who's worried and anxious, maybe a little bit, but I'm really looking to help you here. And she answers the question that she proposes to Ruth by saying, Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? So she's asking two questions, but the second question is really answering the first question. <laughs> the art of asking questions. See, the time of the harvest was over. And certainly Ruth and Boaz had been around each other, around the fields, and have certainly been building a relationship over these much of these weeks covering that barley and wheat harvest that we mentioned in verse, chapter 2, verse 23. And they had much opportunity to get to know each other and to get, kind of really see if it's consistency in, in the people's lives. And th at least those two lives are watching each other. And when Naomi asked her that question about, I, don't you think it's good for me to seek security for you? Naomi knew that Ruth had best be taken care of if she was married of the security and provision by, this, um, by a man. And she's suggesting here and appealing to her, think about Boaz for marriage. Just, 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 just plant it there. I just want to just kind of get it out there to make sure as a mother does to her children, especially her daughter, just just something to think about. Why? Because he's our relative. Why? Because Naomi's suggestion to Ruth was rooted in a very particular custom of that day for the Israelites, and that is the kinsman redeemer. The meaning behind this word of Goel, the kinsman redeemer, it pointed everything toward Boaz. 
And now she's reminding Ruth, okay, Ruth, you're hanging around the fields of Boaz. You're getting to know Boaz, and he is our family, Goel, our, our kind of leader of our family, because Elimelech, her husband, died. And you're my daughter-in-law, so you're my daughter now, because you've lost your husband. And now, because of that, the kingsman redeemer that God has set up as a custom within the, the culture is all laid out for you here. I want you to think about this. Because it's important for the Israelis, the Israel's family life to have a kingsman redeemer because it's not just for marriage. Let me give you the references of why you have a kingsman redeemer. Though they set it up, the first one, the kingsman redeemer, was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. That was Leviticus 25.48 when we studied it. He was also responsible to be the avenger of blood to make sure the murderer of a family member answered to the crime and they were to chase them down before they can get to the actual uh, destinations of some uh, uh, sanctuary cities. And we see that in Numbers 35, 19. We also are responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited through some kind of poverty or some kind of bad deal and stuff. They could redeem the land back so that people would not be poor. That's Leviticus 25, 25. And then here tonight, we see here in Ruth, it was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow to make sure the name of the man who died early before he could have a, a name to be carried on was to be able to take and be married to an older uh, Goel or Kingsman Redeemer who was the designation at that time. And we see that in Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through 10 that talked about and was written centuries before this, almost like it was written centuries before for this time and for this moment. Remember, through Ruth, one of the six kids is the Messiah. Comes through the lineage. And so, since Boaz was recognized as the Goel of the family of Emelech, Ruth could appeal to Boaz directly to safeguard the family name of the Elimelech's family and take her in marriage and say, Naomi's encouraging her, you need to now take a step of faith. You need to hope in the fact that Boaz could be your Goel and he will be willing to be your Goel and to be also have the faith that he's going to be willing to marry you to keep the family name going forward. In fact, she says, he is, a, he is winnowing now, barely tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself. She's going to give you five key points I need you to get prepared, uh, young lady. I need you to get prepared. Here's the things I need you to do. Therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he, li it, he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will take you or he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So let's take some time here going through these because these are very important things that connect to us as a Christian today. 
Naomi instructed Ruth in a, this fivefold kind of a preparation moment here. Go through these things. You need to get ripe and be prepared for you to go and present your appeal. Present yourself as saying, will you marry me <laughs> to Boaz? And the first one she says is to Ruth was wash your, yourself. And it was like an act of what? Like a bride preparing for her wedding. To go get prepared, get ready, get really, really, really clean and ready. Get all that dirt that you've been going on, you know, all the reaping you've been doing. Get the dirt from underneath your fingernail. Get nice and cleaned up. And that reminds us of 2 Corinthians 7.1. If we want to enter in this deep relationship with our Lord, we must cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We have that responsibility. We must clean ourselves. We see in Psalm 51, verses 2 and 7, talking about whatever we sin, we must, we must pray, wash me. We should be asking, Lord, wash me. Cleanse me. Wash me. But sometimes God says to us, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, Isaiah 1.16. When we seek forgiveness, we come to him because we're seeking after for forgiveness. And God washes the, the record clean and washes our record completely clean like we never sinned before in 1 John 1.9. But we need to ask, come for forgiveness. We must present it to him. We must also separate ourselves from whatever defiles us and grieves the Father. We have decisions to cut things off in our life that is not pleasing to our Father. To bring the cleansing, that washing upon over. We see that in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. We see that in James chapter 4, verses 7 8. These are key verses that we must know that there are times where we just cry out, Lord, Lord, cleanse me, wash me. Just, just, I, I don't even know what to do anymore. And the next moment is like, okay, you got responsibility, Corey. You got to cut things off and certain relationships or, or certain attitudes and certain things. You've got to change, Corey. You have to make that decision to change and you need to wash yourselves and you need to come and, and really cry out to me and ask for forgiveness. You need to understand that you need me. And they'll go, they go hand in hand in our life of being washed. The second thing that he, she tells Ruth, Ruth is to anoint herself. In the Eastern people here, this was the custom. It was to, was this frag, is to, fragrant oils was so important to protect and to heal their bodies and to make themselves pleasant to others. It's just like a bride. She's all now washed. She's all kind of a perfumed up. She looks good. She smells good. She's anointed. She's ready to get married. Anointing oil speaks so clear in the scriptures of the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit. We must have that anointing that speaks of, of the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All believers have received the anointing of the Spirit in 1 John 2.20 and verses 27 as well. We all have received the anointing of the Spirit and sealed by the Spirit when you're born again. 
And therefore, we ought to be a fragrance of Christ to the Heavenly Father, clearly spoken of in 2 Corinthians 2.15. Your life should have this fragrance of Christ about you. When believers meet you, there should be a fragrance of Christ about you. Your spirit should be speaking to each other's spirit because it's the same spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives within both of you. There should be a fragrance about you, especially to the Heavenly Father. And the more we are like Jesus Christ in character and conduct, the more we please our Heavenly Father with our lives. And the more we please him, the more we can be blessed and blessings that comes upon us because he can use us for his glory and for his purpose. The third thing that we see is Naomi told Ruth, you need to change your clothes. Yes, you're washed up, you're all cleaned up, you're all perfumed up, anointed, but don't put on the old clothes. Don't put the old dirty clothes up that you've been reaping with all day long. You got to get the new clothes. And back in those days, they may have had one outfit. It may have been Naomi's and she's letting her borrow it. You know, she only had one outfit for special occasions. And she says, you must go change your clothes. Get the best garment on you. You need to look good. And she was to put off the garments of sorrowing widow and dress for the joyful occasion of a wedding. There's a time to sorrow of your loss of a loved one. But you must move and to work through with the power of the Holy Spirit in you to move from sorrow as a widow to a dressed in joy for the wedding. We see in Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3. And the scripture speaks of clothing as a, as a picture for us, uh, has a lot of spiritual meaning for us. We see the fact that after they had sinned, Adam and Eve in the garden, after they had sinned against God, our first parents tried to cover themselves. But only the Lord could forgive them and clothe them acceptably. He had to shed the first blood in the new earth. And that was a sacrifice of an animal to bring the skin to the covering of their nakedness. They tried to do it on their own religiously by thinking it's okay. I can cover myself of my guilt and shame by putting my little fig leaves over me. That's called religion. If I just put on religion, I will feel I cover my sin. If I do religious things and light my candles and do this and go here and go to church and go into all these things, if I do that, somehow I'm covering my guilt and my shame and my life is not. No, no, no. God's sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ himself, is the only blood that can bring the cleansing, the washing, and the anointing of one's life. Salvation is pictured as a change of clothes, Luke 15, 22. Christian living means taking off the grave clothes of the old life and putting on the grace clothes of the new life. We see in Colossians 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and John 
11.44. All of our righteousness, all of our righteousness is filthy rags, the scripture tells us in Isaiah 64.6. We can only come in the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21. When we come to Christ, he robes us with his robe of righteousness. The fourth thing that we see Naomi say to Ruth in preparation to going and proposing and asking Boaz to marry her is she tells Ruth, you need to learn how to present yourself. You just don't go boldly in and say something. You need to present it. It's all about the kind of the presentation and the, and, and, the, and the timing here to present herself to Boaz. And he, she says here is when you get there to uncover his feet and lie down at his feet while he is sleeping. Now, many people read this part of the scripture and say, is she trying to seduce him? What is she trying to be inappropriate? What, what, what is trying to appease to his flesh? What, that's the last thing he, at his feet? Are you kidding me? But at the appropriate time, Naomi instructs Ruth as their custom and as the appropriate method and way to show a humbled spirit and humbly coming to this man was this instruction. He, she instructs Ruth to go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Some might think it was improper gesture, but no, no, no. This was exactly what she was supposed to do according to this culture of that day. Because it was completely understood by that culture that was she doing that, she's telling, I'm willing to totally submit to your authority. Completely submit humbly to your total authority as the husband or the kingsman redeemer for my life. And finally, she's, Naomi tells Ruth, Ruth, are you, are you, are you, will you promise to obey this? Will you obey the word that I'm giving you? And he, she says at the very end there, all that you say to me, I will do. So you could get all washed up. You can get all anointed and smelling pretty you can have the greatest of clothes on when you show up at church you can come appropriately on time <laughs> to church and attend everything but the point is are you willing to obey the word are you willing to do it see Ruth was not just a hearer of the word she was a doer of the word. A willingness to obey the Lord is the secret of knowing what he wants us to do for him in our lives. And being blessed when we do it is by knowing and being obedient to what God is doing. It's, you want a secret sauce? You want to know the secret to this Christian life? Be obedient to the word of God as he directs you. And you'll be blessed while you're doing it. And she says, if you will do these things, he will tell you what you should do. Boaz will tell you what to do next. Of course, this was a situation that had to, such potential risk and disaster, depending on how Boaz was going to rea react to this. 
She had tremendous risk here. She was literally having to take this hope that she had. The hope that Naomi is giving her instruction. She's holding on to that hope that even Naomi has. Because she didn't fully understand this, but Naomi did. And she had to take a step of faith. That was her responsibility. She took the hope, took the step of faith, and she said, okay. And there could have been tremendous risk here. Because they didn't know exactly how Boaz was going to respond. But they knew him enough over a period of all of these weeks and how Boaz treated Ruth during these periods of time and even Naomi through Ruth. That they understand this man, Boaz, as a good man, a godly man, one whom Ruth could confidently submit her life to as her husband. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk... And his heart was cheerful. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So sometimes people say, well, why is he in the threshing floor lying and sleeping there? He just had a great meal. He got some cheerful little uh, drinking in there. And he's just totally fine and chilling out. On his grain. What is the what was the deal here? Well, you have to understand what it was a very good reason why Boaz was sleeping on the fleshing floor. Because remember, in the days of judges when this was taking place, there was absolute anarchy, lawlessness, chaos, because everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, and he is the owner of all that grain. They just harvest all of this grain. He was camping on his on his threshing floor to protect. All of that wealth of his, all of that grain, all the harvest. He did all that hard work because of the thugs that were in that area, because of the thieves that were always here. They were looking to come in, as we saw in the Old Testament. Thieves would always come in and steal the Israelites. They were God was blessing them. They did the hard work, and then the enemies, the Moabites, then they would come in and steal their food. So he was, he was planting himself and sleeping right on his, on his barley to make sure those grains weren't going anywhere. So it totally makes sense why he was doing it. And that's why Naomi knew exactly where she would be. He's the owner of that business. He's not going to be walking away from that tonight. He's protecting that stuff. She knew exactly where he would be. You certainly can go back to 1 Samuel 23.1 that talks about the guarding of the fleshing floor and the crop. From attacks. But she came in as it's exactly what Naomi said, her mother-in-law, and she literally softly come in. She didn't come in and say, Boaz, I'm here and I need to get married, and you're my kingsman redeemer, and you have to marry me. She didn't do that. She didn't demand nothing. She softly came in, humbly came in. What happened? Verse 8. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled. Yeah, Boaz, any man would be startled. He wakes up in the middle of the night. <laughs> Someone's at your feet. Remember, it's complete darkness. There is no lights outside. You know, there's no street lights. There's nothing. It is dark, man, in this place, right? So he's startled and he turned and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. 
Am I dreaming? What's going on here? And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Why? Because he could not see her. It's dark. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. So she presents her case. Please take me as your maidservant, as your wife. Take me and put under your wing your protection as a guardian, a protector, a provider. This, because you are the close relative. You're my kinsman redeemer. You're my goal. It's an amazing scene. Boaz wakes up and thinks sees what was what who's that what is that my feet what's going on here I can't see you it looks like a feels looks like a woman feels like a woman I, I who is this and Naomi uh, Ruth had to actually name herself that's not what he anticipated he wasn't looking for this moment he wasn't dreaming of this moment he hadn't orchestrated and manipulated and say how can I work this to get Ruth to come and show up at my feet now he had none of that he was literally thinking about thieves coming and taking and waking him up not a woman and a woman who's coming and saying boldly to Boaz to take her in marriage I'm a widow take me as your wife please you're, you're, you're my next relative you're the king's main redeemer you're my goel what happened? Verse 10, then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town Know that you are a virtuous woman. Ah, the reputation of a Proverbs 31 woman. The reputation, he noticed the people of my town know you're a virtuous woman. They've been watching her life over the weeks, months, watching. They see what's going on here. And he, he starts off by showing. But Boaz never intended to think that Ruth would be of any interest of him. How do we know that? Because the scripture right here says, You're, you have shined, shown more kindness. Kindness to who? To Boaz. How did he show kindness to Boaz all the way from the end to the, at the front of the beginning? You had your age would be... Anyone in a young woman's age would normally be chasing after young men. Which means Boaz was much older than her. And he never thought there was even an opportunity she would be interested in wanting to have him be her husband. You've got all these young, healthy young men who could be with you because you're young. And she says... You could have went after the young men, rich or poor, didn't matter. You had so many opportunities. If I would have not told the men to stay back from you during all this harvest time, you would have had men flocking. So even with the difference in, I guess, considerable age difference with Ruth, we don't know what Boaz looked like. We don't know what Ruth looked like. It didn't matter. 
Boaz obviously didn't think he was the most spitting example of the of a uh, of a healthy young man because if Boaz considered himself probably a very unattractive compared to the young men because he didn't even think that the fact that this would be an option so he probably ruled out any idea of romance between them but that shows the character of this man Boaz does it not a wonderful character about this man. He could have tried to justify and forced himself upon Ruth as a Goel. And manipulated and orchestrated and made sure to force her to marry him. But he didn't do that. He wasn't going to say, there's a woman, I want her and I have her and I'm going to figure it out. And I'll take everyone else out so I can make sure she's forced to marry me. Nope. He didn't act like a wolf, circling the women, trying to just corral them around and get them out into their little corner. No, no. He wasn't acting like a, little, like a wolf. It was also shows something so beautiful about Ruth, too. She based her attraction to, Mo, uh, to Boaz more on respect than an image or appearance. His age and his appearance and his image was not what was driving her. Unfortunately, tragically, many people fall in love with an image or an appearance of another rather than the person of who they are as an inner person. Oh, she's beautiful, but she's a non-believer and wicked and, and worshiping witches, and who cares what her outside looks like? But she's beautiful. That, that beauty's going to fade very quickly. It's the inner person that you should need to be attracted to. But he tells her, I will do for you all that you requested. He made a commitment right there. Yes, everything you just said, I'm, I'm totally for this. That wise, that wise counsel for Naomi paid off big time. But Ruth still had to obey her to make that all work. She had to be obedient to the word, the advice. Take counsel. God, that was good godly counsel. But notice, all the people in my town Know that you're a virtuous woman. So Boaz wasn't looking for the beauty. We don't know what Ruth looked like. It didn't matter because Boaz was not looking for a younger woman. She was looking at the character of this woman. You're a virtuous woman. The Proverb 31 woman. That's what attracted him to her. Now in verse 12, now it came true that I am a close relative. That's true. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night in the morning. It shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, meaning he will act as the kinman's redeemer for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, be your husband, to be able to have children, 
then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So apparently, the Boaz recognized by many, including Naomi and Ruth, that he was the kingman's redeemer. He was the Goel for them. He was the leader of their family. Instead of Boaz going, that's a secret little secret. Let me, I know there's someone closer, and that's really, the guy is really supposed to have that first option. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to manipulate this thing, and we'll try to, maybe we can work this. Maybe they won't, he won't respond and get upset with this. No, no, he didn't play any games. Again, the character of this man. He says, just wait right here. I'm going to address this with the other, king, the other the relative that's closer. I will approach him. I will let him know this situation. And if he's willing to do the duty of a husband, then great. That's good. He was settled. It was, it was God's will. God's will, God's way. This is the right thing to do. If not, I will fill that, that role. So Boaz wasn't willing to cut corners in this situation. He understands as a godly man, it's God's will is what is perfect and what is right and good. It's God's way. We're going to do it God's way. I'm not going to manipulate it in my way to get this happen. And no, I know it's God's will, but I'm still going to manipulate how to make I'm going to help God do this. Never, 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 never to do that. Or you're going to say, oh, let's do it God's way, but not in his will. No, 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 no. You never want to do that. You want to be in God's will and God's way. And so he knew that if it was really of the Lord, then the Lord was going to work this out. And it would be done in an orderly and a proper way. And, and Boaz was a mature, godly man, and he understood who his God was. Now take note. It is true, Jesus is my and your kingsman redeemer. My nearest kingsman, your nearest kingsman, is who he is, Jesus Christ. God himself became flesh, became like you and me, and was tempted in all points like you and me. Hebrews 2, chapter 2, teaches the incredible truth of the Incarnation. How Jesus is a high priest who relates to you and to me because he became just like us. And it's because of that relationship, because of how he understands you, he understands what you've been dealing with, he is the perfect priest to minister to your heart. And here's a perfect picture here. Now Boaz is ministering to you, uh, Ruth's heart and the fact that this is going to see what the Lord's going to do. And look what here in verses 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, just like he said to do. And she arose before one could recognize another, meaning there was no sunrise yet. Then he said, do not let it be known that the uh, that a blah, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. That's kind of an interesting way of saying that. That he said, do not let it be known that the woman came. Meaning, I read that and I go, I think he's telling his, his, his workers who are also sleeping in that area, don't let it be known. I think he's speaking to others. He's not speaking to her. 
also, right, now it's additional, also he said to her, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured that six measurements of barley. In your Bible, that word ephahs uh, is um, italicized. It's, it was added, and it's not appropriate in regards to the right wording there. So just see it as your Bible may say six measures of barley. Mine says in the New King James Version, uh, six ephahs of barley. And, and laid it on her, then she went into the city. She, went, she was going back home where Naomi is. But Boaz and Ruth were not trying to hide anything, any scandalous thing. Oh, a woman was at the feet of Boaz. No, no. They didn't want a scandal in the small town of rumors starting and blowing it out of proportion. You know, the small town kind of talk. So he's telling his guys, I believe, don't tell anyone there was a woman. You, don't, you haven't seen her. You don't know who she is. But... Don't tell anybody some woman's at my feet because the word could get out. A woman is throwing her, her, her at Boaz's feet. She wants to get married to Boaz. And everyone will think, who was it? He said, don't you? Just keep it quiet. Why? Because Boaz was going to go to the nearer kingsman to learn what his intention would be because he has this option now. Do you want to marry this woman named Ruth who is a not an Israelite who came and is a widow and, 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 and here present. But remember, that near kingsman knows of her virtuous woman status, this beautiful, hardworking, godly woman who's following and doing the God of Israel. And so he says, as she's leaving, let me give you this measures of six measures of barley. It's a, it's a proper gentleman thing to do. But Boaz, I believe, had a bigger intention of why he gave him so much. Because it wasn't this ephahs. Because if that was true, that would turn out to be about 33 gallons of grain. There's no way she was going to carry that much of grain. That's why I don't, that was an inserted word there. But whatever the amount is, is all that matters is that he gave six keywords, six handfuls of barley to her to take and to take back to not only for her, but as a message to Naomi. It appears Boaz was sending kind of a, a cryptic riddle kind of message through Ruth to Naomi, saying, I'm going to work and not rest until my work is complete, until she's my wife. Because there's, there's, there is meaning behind numbers. And there's a, a method of trying to communicate not only to the Ruth, but also to Naomi, who's kind of advisor, the older woman overseeing her. How do we know this? Because in verse 18, it gives us the answer. So when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Because it's still dark out. Then she told her all that the man, Boaz, had done for her. And she said, These six measures of barley, or ephahs of barley, he gave me, for he said to me, you can see, you know Naomi was saying, give me the word for word play here. <laughs> Don't miss out any words. You know as a mother, you know what she's looking for, right? And she tells her, this man said to me, do not go empty handed to your 
mother-in-law. Then she said, as she saw how much and saw what was going, she, Naomi, turns around and says to Ruth, what? Sit still. Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. The message, it was clear to Naomi, had tremendous hope and, and faith and peace and going on here because she's like, this man is going to get this settled. There's a time to sit still. Don't do anything. Let's see how this is going to play out. Then there's times to be still. There are times in the scriptures that talk about stillness that we must learn in our lives. And here it was a time of considerable anxiety for, for Ruth. There was certain uncertainty for Ruth's life ahead of her. Because she was about to say, I want you as my husband, Boaz. And it could be this other man who may not be a kind and good and gentle man. She had claimed her right to marriage and she would be married. But no guarantee now to Boaz as her and Naomi thought it would be. The only question was to whom would she was going to be married to? Would it going to be Boaz? She just got to know him. But the decision would be made that very day. And that's where we will pick back up in chapter 4. Have you put yourself at the feet of the Lord of the harvest? Is a good question for you and me. Are you trusting him to work in your life? One evidence of your trust and my trust in him will be our willingness to sit still and let him have his way in your life. We must. We must understand how important it is to live our lives in, in this hope and faith. This trust in, the, in the, our Lord. And you must practice. Just sit still and see what the Lord's going to do. There's a time to move. Don't get me wrong. Just like Ruth. She got up. She knew she had to go make, make, get, make, get some food. And God orchestrated her steps. And now she's waiting and she has to sit still and trust God to work out and how it's going to play out. She has to now learn how to sit still. May we be the same way. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you for allowing us to study your word and allowing your Holy Spirit to work in our lives, Lord, through, by and through your word. Speak to our hearts to learn these things, these important, important steps of life as we can learn from our, the scriptures, from the lives of Naomi and the lives of Ruth, the lives of the life of Boaz. Lord, we can learn these things and apply it to our life. Because your word is great, good. It's food to our soul. To strengthen and deepen our spirit of faith in you and our hope in you. And allow that, the fruit of love to bear from our lives. I pray for a special blessing upon each person here tonight. Lord, just bless them, encourage them. May they walk in your spirit and truth.